This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property. However, this week we're going to do something a little different. I was talking to some people who were first home buyers earlier today and really struggling with the way things have been going with the LVR ratings and just trying the house prices, just trying to get into their first home. So it made me think, might have a look to see what's happening in the news that may be of interest to first home buyers this week and look at some of the articles about what's going on, what's going on with the market, lending and so forth. Talking to these folks this morning just made me realise that buying a house is becoming something that's extremely difficult for people to do uh, just with regards to the, the house prices and the goalposts that keep being moved. So which goalposts are we talking about? The loan-to-value ratio restrictions mean uh, effectively changes to the size of a deposit that can happen seemingly at whim and overnight by banks and, uh, and so forth. Other goalposts are house prices, them, prices themselves, which have record prices have been happening in the last 12 months. Manotu Wanganui is extremely busy. The property values in our region were up 24.5% when compared to the property prices one year ago. Now, what am I meaning by prices? It's probably not the right word. It's the median sale price. Median sale price is up by 24.5% when compared to this time a year ago. Wonderful if you own a home, challenging and difficult if uh, you're a first home buyer or any buyer really in general. So we'll start with this article from stuff.co.nz by Susan Edmonds. And this says, first home buyers hurdle increases again, data shows. So it's interesting to see that in this article it says if you're hoping to buy a house in the next couple of years you might want to look away. First home buyers goalposts have shifted again according to this new data from CoreLogic. The property research firm tracks the median house price paid by first home buyers and in January that was $650,000 up from 608000 in December. Stuff's housing affordability dashboard, which is based on the CoreLogic figures and income data from Infometrics, shows it would now require a first home household on a median income of $95,000 a year, saving 30% of their earnings to save for 238 weeks, I'll just do the maths on that one, that's over four years, to amass a 20% deposit. And that figure is up from 206 weeks in January last year and 221 weeks in December. So now 238 weeks to be able to save a 20% deposit. It's incredible. So even just compared to December, January compared to December is an extra three and a half months of saving and one month of price changes. So you can see what the problem is here. The goalposts are moving more quickly than it's reasonably expected people could save. But what about the super low interest rates, you, you might ask, and uh, don't they make it much easier once you get in the door? 
Well, according to this article, bad news there too. The median mortgage payments have increased from 878 a fortnight in December 2020 to 933 in January. Last January, the median payment was 905. So yes, the payments are probably still easier than rent, but they are have been going up. And that's just related directly to house prices. CoreLogic economist Calvin Davidson said there were signs that the first home buyers were hitting their limits and investors have taken their place in some cases. So in January, mortgaged investors were 30% of the purchasing market, which is their highest share ever. So the government has been doing a number of things to making property, trying to make property less appealing to investors to give other people a chance to buy. However, the things that they have been doing is really a drop in the ocean compared to the incredible capital growth in which you can receive in property in New Zealand at the moment. So it doesn't entirely surprise me that investors were 30% of the purchasing market and sadly the first home buyers have dropped to 22%, which is the lowest level since the first half of 2018. So Kelvin Davidson on this says, and I quote, even though they're able to tap their expanding KiwiSaver funds, the signs that first home buyers might finally be starting to struggle harder with ever-rising property values and hence deposit requirements are becoming clearer too. The first home buyers market share dipped reasonably in January to levels not seen in about three years. So um, it's really interesting because it's a trend that has been reflected around the country. It's also interesting to note that the continued rise in activity by investors is coming from the smaller end of the spectrum, those who have just bought their first rent property or up to their third. Kelvin Davidson says that we expect that these mum and dad investors are more likely to have been the people most affected by the sharp falls in term deposit rates, or in other words, the ones who have had the most incentive to search for yield somewhere else. I've certainly been experiencing that in my day-to-day job. Um, So they could be using equity from their own property to get a rental. And in that case, it makes it very easy to meet the requirements of the LVR ratios, um, the percentages, even though it's up to 40% for investors, um, that's often just tied up in equity in the family home, so easy to use. So changing these goalposts doesn't make too much of a difference to investors. The Real Estate Institute has reported the price growth has hit 19.2% a year in January and Wellington 26 and as I mentioned Manotu Wanganui 24.5. ASB economist Mike Jones has said the prices were rising at a rate not seen since 2004 and that was a year when GDP was higher than 6%. So these sorts of prices will worry anyone who wants a first home or who has children who might want their first home one day, but when will the heat come off? That's the million-dollar question. If even a pandemic and the prospect of two recessions within 12 months can't dent house prices, what will? So Davidson has said that it's likely the loan-to-value restrictions would reduce investors' share of the market over the coming year and to free up some opportunities for first-home buyers to make a purchase, but it won't be the whole solution. So just to go back to what I was saying, the... LVR restrictions, that is, owners needing to have 40% deposit or 40% equity in buying a property as an investment, is not that hard in a market that's rising in the mid-20s per annum. But it will slow down the, the number of people investing, but certainly it's, it's not going to make a big difference. So owner-occupiers under the, under the LVR restrictions 
limit their lending, or the banks limit their lendings to owner occupiers to no more than twenty percent with a deposit of less than twenty percent. So just to, so a small number of people they'll give a deposit that less, but they require forty percent from investors. New builds are generally exempt from the rules, and with equity having risen so fast in most properties lately, 40, lately 40% might not be the hurdle it was, uh, as I was just talking about. So really interesting um, to see what happens. If the interest rates rise, that will reduce the appetite of many people to buy, but that's not expected for several years. There has also been the suggestion of more help for first-home buyers, and that could work in the short term, but how long before prices simply rise to meet the extra money buyers have available? Uh, it's amazing that the – and it's a difficult situation because if you say to all first-home buyers we're going to grant you $50,000, um, free money from the government to put towards your deposit, um, wouldn't house prices just go up because it's based on supply and demand? So the tenants would just pay that extra money to, get, to try and get the property – the government has signalled it will take some action this month to help reduce demand from property speculators and help first-home buyers, but it would need to be decisive, like lifting supply, boosting infrastructure investment, or reducing investor competition with struggling first-home buyers. So where it says property speculators, it's a strange term to me. There's not very many of those people in the market that, that are speculating would insinuate you're buying and selling in a short period of time for a profit, but there are... Um, five years a bright line test where you have to pay tax on those profits. Still, for me, for investors, if they want to speculate, it just reduces their profitability. Um, that, that is the buy, do up and sell. So it would be interesting to see what they come out with that might be a little stricter. So also on the first home buyer scale, I saw this article, and this is um, from, uh, from New Plymouth. It says buying a 400 $1,000 New Plymouth Kiwi build house, a no-brainer, a first-home buyer says. So Taranaki-born Kylie Guthrie has bought her first home for $400,000 during property market madness, and it's a Kiwi build. Kylie Guthrie is paying $440 a week in rent in Tauranga. Now she's paying $380 a week in mortgage repayments in her brand-new Taranaki Kiwi build home. So Guthrie's first home is one of 68 being built in New Plymouth's $23 million Kiwi Build Project Discovery Development. 23 of the homes have already been sold and buyers are queuing up for the rest as they near completion. The Mayor of New Plymouth said the demand showed the real need for homes in the city and he planned to ask government for a second similar development. So Guthrie has moved into the sunny three-bedroom home in Marfell for a week and loves it. The 36-year-old paid $400,000 for a modern, double-glazed, fully insulated home which has a small grassy backyard, an open-plan kitchen and living area and sits in the new quiet neighbourhood. According to her, it's a no-brainer. So the Kiwi Build scheme in New Plymouth was first announced in November 2018 and was widely welcomed by those in the surrounding community. It's being built in an area where dozens of neglected state houses were demolished in 2008, with more abandoned properties knocked down in 2017. So to be eligible for a Kiwi build home, a buyer must be a New Zealand citizen, a permanent or usual resident, earn less than $120,000 as a single person or $180,000 as a couple, and plan to live in the property for at least three years. So the district's median house price had an all-time high of 600000 in January, and that's where it's, it's quite interesting to see that you can get a home for a lot cheaper if you qualify. They might not be in the very best location, as in, as in the case here, 
But really, it's your own home. It's going to grow in value, and that'll help you towards a better future. So good to see that the Kiwi builds are still going ahead. If you can't quite afford a Kiwi build, here's an article from Stuff Lifestyle. It says, going free to a good home, one very tidy little house. So this is an article about a tidy two-bedroom house on a nai-nai lower hut section that's been bought by developers, and they're giving away the house for free. So the former owner, the former owner Benjamin Johnson, and his family loved and cherished their little two-bedroom home. With the third child on the way, it was time to upsize. We were approached by a number of property developers, but in the end it was Faisandia Group that purchased our property and the three properties around us to turn into 20 townhouses. The developer did not need the house, but instead of it being demolished, we arranged for us to be able to give us give the house to someone if we can find a suitable candidate. So uh, that's interesting to know that there are still uh, options like that around occasionally. might be a bit far to move that house from uh, Lower Hutt uh, to Palmerston North, but who knows? Who knows? At least they're doing a lovely thing there by saying, we love the house, um, someone who, who qualifies, who they feel happy with, can then have that home, move it onto land and live there quite happily. So with that nice thought in mind, we'll go to a little bit of music here. I've got the live, unplugged MTV version of Nirvana, Come As You Are.
And you're back. You're listening to Property Matters on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi, o Nga Tangata, o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's great having your company on this uh, first home buyer special, I guess you could say, in terms of the Property Matters show. We're normally all over the place, but today we're generally looking at first home buyers. So one thing, an, an article that I spotted from Janine Starks, which was an opinion piece on stuff.co.nz, says investor ban would cool our boiling over housing market. An interesting idea that if investors were banned from buying, what would happen to the market? So here's her opinion. Should we put a temporary ban on investors and rental property to cool the housing market? And there is a strong case for it in her view. New Zealand's out of control. Prices are attracting worldwide headlines as inequality widens. Our solutions for the housing market all have time lags. Even the requirement for investors to have higher deposits, 30% in March and 40% in May, is akin to holding back the tide with a bit of number eight wire. The demand surge continues with Kiwis returning from overseas and retirees seeking rental yields due to bank accounts generating near zero. Middle-aged couples with a mortgage-free home can easily use us to meet the deposit requirements for a rental. Investors sitting on a rising tide of capital gains during 2020 can afford to re-enter the market using the free equity they've gained. Higher deposit levels, which is loan-to-value ratios, they help control demand in many normal situations. But just as we've gone through some of the most extraordinary market conditions in history, that's been tough. So governments worldwide flooded the financial markets with cash, for example, buying back bonds, and that's called quantitative easing, and decreasing interest rates. Now, quantitative easing has been described as crack cocaine for asset prices, and that's why share prices and property are high as a kite. So for economists and bankers, the mere thought of an artificial intervention in the free market appears to go against the beliefs of a liberal democracy, but there are times when extraordinary measures are needed to protect us from external and internal shocks of the economy. Let's look at the situation here. Our borders have closed, we've banned tourists, we've had a massive wage subsidies and flooded the financial markets with cash. Our export markets have undergone major structural change. So bearing that in mind, our views on radical intervention are now vastly different. Applying a handbrake to investors in residential property would feel no more surprising than these other actions, she says. So allowing the demand from owner-occupiers to take priority until other supply-based measures are phased in seems far less extreme than sitting by like lame ducks and letting the forecast of Westpac's economists of a 17% rise in 2021 wash over us. She goes on to say that right now the government can't afford to delay. We've backed them into a corner on capital gains tax and it's firmly off the agenda. Other tools are needed to bring the foot off the accelerator. Temporary emergency measure to cut all lending to on investment properties to zero would give policymakers and owner-occupiers a chance to breathe and phase in a new suite of measures. The investors have the full value of a property in cash. She says they should still be able to buy and that would help retirees looking for yield. But let's not keep fueling the market with investors leveraging up their capital gains over and over. So then she does a list of solutions which is quite interesting. So here's a short list of the most widely talked about solutions with regards to making things more affordable. And again, this relates very much to, to first home buyers indirectly. So here's some of the solutions. The government paying for infrastructure and new subdivisions to lower land prices and offsetting it against GST earned on the new property. Altering the Resource Management Act, which is already underway. Increasing the size of deposit required by investors, and this is occurring but is unlikely to control demand. 
Implementing a debt-to-ratio income with standard rules so borrowers are restricted to a multiple of their income as a mortgage. Implementing a stamp duty when an investment property is purchased so that owner-occupiers get a pricing advantage, in other words it costs more for investors. Increasing the bright line test to 10 years so only long-term landlords get free capital gains. An annual land tax for property investors and that's uh, something they have in a number of countries in, in Europe, for example, charging council rates on the land rather than capital values, and that penalises land banking, so that's um, an interesting one as well. And a ghost housing tax on empty properties, you're paying tax for having a property empty. So that's all, all really interesting as to how, how that will go. But let's go to another article on stuff.co.nz. If, so if you can't afford the house in Nainai that's being moved and you can't afford a first home, here's this article. A couple beat the housing crisis by renovating a derelict, unlivable home of their dreams. And this was on February the 19th. It's well worth a look for the photographs. Brad and Anita Coombe now own their own dream home, but they've got a bit of work to do before they can live in it. The home has sea views, sits at the foot of Mount Taranaki and is on a quiet rural farm. The only problem is it's derelict. The couple who moved from ta- to Taranaki from Auckland have called the Rauhotu home and one acre piece of farmland theirs since last month. The three-bedroom home is a 1910 farmhouse that hasn't been lived in since 2008. It was full of furniture that hadn't been used for 12 years and is falling to pieces. The spectacular views can be seen through holes in the walls. The Coombs wouldn't say how much they spent on buying the property, but it was well under the median Taranaki house price of 520000 and they expected to spend $120,000 doing it up. The couple have vision and faith that they'll be living in it in six months to a year. So that's always a possibility, I guess. Move somewhere cheaper, buy a rundown property on a piece of land and go from there. So they've got a big job in front of them. That's quite a good article to look up. Now, if you were looking at investing, why not invest in the UK? Britain's worst house could be yours for $3,800. This article in Lifestyle on stuff.co.nz. So a severely waterlogged and uninhabitable three-bedroom home in Bradford, England, has been dubbed by some as Britain's worst house with a price tag of just over New Zealand $3,800. And this could be the bargain of a lifetime for someone who wants to bring it back from the brink. So maybe the people from the last story could, uh, could come and do this. The house to the end, oh, sorry, bigger pardon. The house to the south of Bradford's city centre in West Yorkshire is an end terrace in need of full refurbishment throughout. The real estate description might be sugarcoating things a little. No one has lived there for months, and the previous tenants appear to have moved out without a serious accumulation of belongings, i.e., rubbish. Believe it or not, you're looking. Uh, the photo on online is really quite interesting. Looking at the rear of the property is a garden. Uh, which is under weeds and bits of old furniture. So it looks like a bit of admission there as well. So somehow this has got into the international news. Uh, the location, though, is very good. So if you have a, a spare little bit of money or someone you know in the UK wants to do that, maybe they're stuck there for uh, COVID. You just never know. Finally, this article for first home buyers, just to give you a little bit of help, uh, this from the New Zealand Herald. Less than $300,000 to buy an Epsom, check out 2020's cheapest house prices. So the house prices may have soared through the biggest boom in two decades last year, but that hasn't stopped one eagle-eyed buyer snapping up a classic timber villa for $15,000. And the November purchase was the cheapest in the land last year, according to a list of 2020's lowest price sales by analysts One Roof Velocity. And 
For the price of a decent used car, the new owners netted a 1910 built timber villa boasting two bedrooms, lounge and dining room on a huge quarter acre block. But you guessed it, there's a catch. Not only was a ramshackle home begging for extensive renovation with its peeling paint and rusting roof, but the remote Southland home was at 1 Malta Street in Tiny Wyndham, population of 550 and half an hour north of Invercargill. So Owen Vaughan, the editor of what website One Roof, says bargains may have become increasingly hard to find in the post-COVID housing boom, but new data said they were out there. So let's look at um, some of the other ones. So as you know, Auckland prices well over a million dollars now. However, one buyer bought their way into Auckland's sought-after Epsom Grammar Zone for just 233000 last year. For that incredible price, roughly equivalent to the 200000 deposit needed on a typical $1 million Auckland home, they're able to move into a, and this is an in inverted commas, gorgeous Art Deco double-brick home at 282 Manukau Road, Epsom. It boasted cavernous, 4.5 metre high ceilings, three bedrooms, double garage and a manicured garden just a block from Auckland's Cornwall Park. So what was the catch? The home sits on a leasehold title, so the buyer didn't own the land. Instead, they needed to pay 13720 in ground rent every year for the next 12 years, totalling 164640 at which point the next 21-year lease and rent agreement would be struck according to the home's advertisement. Yet the Epsom home wasn't the cheapest buy in Auckland, according to One Roof Velocity. One buyer snagged the cheapest Auckland deal by picking up a one-bedroom apartment on Waiheke Island Resort on Palm Beach Road for 215000 last July. The resort complex even has its own swimming pool and spa and 18-hole mini-golf course. Another buyer managed to snap up a 60-square-metre apartment in Avenue Road, Otahu, for just 262000 last March. So really it's interesting, I mean you may have to do some reconfiguring, some doing up, some tidying up, that sort of thing, even if you get other people to do it. Well, you'd think some of these are so well worth it. Here's another one, near the Auckland Domain and University of Auckland and New Market Shopping Strip, another buyer picked up a tiny 33 square metre open plan apartment, I used to live in a 30 square metre apartment, so I know how small that is, for $280,000 last March. So again, just... Getting on the property ladder, doing these things up, there are places where you can do it. Why not look down south, Invercargill or towns on the west coast where typical house prices range from 255 to 395 So there we go, there are some options. They're not that palatable, you may have to move, you may have to renovate. It's, it is hard out there and I, I wish you all the best on this first home buyer themed version of Property Matters. Thank you so much for listening and catch up with you next time. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.